The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer is sponsored in part by Celgene Corporation, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx Pharmaceuticals, an Amgen subsidiary. Immunotherapy is one of the most exciting emerging areas of cancer treatment. Uh, Many experts now believe that it is well on the way to becoming a pillar of cancer treatment along with surgery, radiation therapy, and chemotherapy. For some types of cancer, immunotherapy may replace chemotherapy as a treatment for both late and earlier stage tumors. The interest in immunotherapy, however, isn't new. It's one of the areas which researchers have been studying for a long time and uh, 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 and even up until uh, recently with uh, some fairly disappointing results. But today we're going to talk to three people about uh, why and how this field has changed and what it means for patients today uh, and into the future. First, we have uh, with us Dr. Kim Lyerly, the George Barth Geller Professor in Cancer Research at Duke University Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Lyerly. Thanks, Kim. We also have with us today Patty Spears, a microbiologist from North Carolina State University, who is also a breast cancer survivor and a patient advocate. Hi, Patty. Hi, Kim. And uh, finally, we have with us Heather DeFilippo, a nurse practitioner who works with immunotherapy patients at the Abramson, Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, my hometown. Thank you for joining us, Heather. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. Uh, Dr. Lyerly, let me start with you, if I may. Um, So let's start with some basics. Let's start with a definition. Um, What is immunotherapy as it applies to treating cancer? Is there one definition? Is there still some disagreement on just what immunotherapy uh, is? Can we start with some basics? Sure. Um, the uh, the term immunotherapy for many people refers to the idea that uh, we're using the immune system or parts of the immune system to fight uh, your cancer. But uh, as you point out, uh, there are many um, uh, parts of the immune system, such as antibodies, and antibodies have been part of cancer therapy for many years now and well accepted, and, and they have a high degree of effectiveness and so forth for certain cancer types. I think what we're talking about today is the, the type of immune uh, therapy in which we're directing our attention toward stimulating uh, the immune system, your body's um, natural defense against disease uh, and foreign invaders 
uh, to fight your cancer. And so I think that broad uh, definition of immunotherapy would be the topic of our uh, conversation today and the, and the um, opportunity to highlight the recent advances that have been made. Terrific, terrific. It's a great start to get us going with the conversation. Um, Patty Spears, let me ask you this. Why is immunotherapy such an interesting approach to cancer, uh, to treating cancer and cancer treatment? What do we know about the relationship uh, between the immune system and cancer and how does this uh, type of treatment relate and, and uh, uh, correlate to other types of cancer treatments? Um, I think that there are several reasons why immunotherapy is, is interesting approach for treating cancer. Um, one is that it's a natural process that's always ongoing in our body. Our immune system is robust and protects us from um, a lot of foreign invaders like bacteria and viruses. They're like little armies of cells that protect us from th- these things every day. So it's not something that, so it's already something that your body is doing, so it's not something new. Um, and it makes sense the immune system would recognize cancer as a foreign invader. However, cancer is pretty smart. And the cancer cells tend to outsmart the immune system by escaping um, these little army of cells that want to kill it or being um, invisible to the immune system. And so our hope is, like Dr. Lyerly said, is can we unmask the cancer cells or somehow stimulate the immune cells to now recognize cancer cells as foreign invaders, just like they recognize bacteria and viruses and do a job that they normally do in our bodies all the time. So it's more of a natural process, um, so it makes sense to treat all cancers um, in this way. And what I like about it is that you can possibly treat all tumor types um, in this way, not just one cancer over another, as well as all different subtypes within one type of cancer, um, cancer type. And although, you know, all treatments for cancer will have side effects, um, they certainly won't be as dramatic as the toxicity that we see with chemotherapy. So my hope as a patient is that, you know, the side effects will be lessened or, well, they will be definitely different side effects, but we really need to learn more about how to um, to use these therapies well and to, to lessen the side effects. Um, and the side effects can be short-term side effects as well as long-term side effects because you are... Um, affecting the immune system on a whole. But I think there's a great promise for these in, in the future of cancer therapy. And, and Patty, just quickly, are we seeing the use of immunotherapy in other diseases as well besides cancer? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different therapies. You know, autoimmune therapies have always used immune therapy to, mm-hmm. to, um, to lessen the immune system. So I think that, you know, we've learned a lot from a lot of different areas of research. So I think that this is this is an interesting area, and of course, you know, vaccines and bacterial and viruses are used all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Heather, how do you explain immunotherapy to patients who are potentially candidates, uh, you know, for this kind of therapy? How do you talk about this new approach, immunotherapy, as opposed to other uh, types of traditional cancer treatments that folks may be familiar with? Well, I, I do stress and start out by saying that it is definitely a different approach than most likely what they've experienced in the past. And I say that, you know, I tell them that it's really stimulating their own immune system um, to fight, you know, work harder or smarter to attack these cancer cells. And, um, you know, they, they, they understand that. They're very excited about it, um, really excited about knowing that it's 
they're, we're using their certain their actual immune system to fight the cancer. And so, um, when patients ask uh, Heather, let's say potentially about the side effects of of this treatment, or am I going to get this treatment plus am I plus traditional treatment, and 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 how do I think about this? Where you know people think about traditional cancer treatment, they think about losing your hair, they think about uh, nausea and vomiting, they think about these other other types of things. So how do we put this into a, a, a different kind of context for patients? Well, well, I tell them that the side effects they experience from immunotherapy really come from the revved up immune system. And um, they can be like flu-like symptoms, fatigue, rashes, um, fevers, can affect their blood pressure, and not the typical side effects of the hair loss. Um, nausea and vomiting that they typically see, and, and that they look forward to that. Um, you know, hair loss is very dramatic to patients, and um, this is a different approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're we're going to drill down on this uh, throughout the show, but but Dr. Lyerly, you've been working in the immunotherapy area for a number of years um, uh, through the hard times, perhaps before some of the good times that we're seeing recently. But uh, what could just give us a, a two-minute history? Why didn't this work up until now? What's kept you going in the field? Why are we suddenly seeing these advances? Well, Kim, that's a, that's a great question. And I think one of the things that uh, is most um, difficult to understand uh, for many people is the uh, that the progress that has been made has been steady, but it tends to be uh, somewhat nonlinear. Uh, what I mean by that is that it's uh, not the same progress on a year-to-year basis. It's uh, kind of a spurts of uh, rapid advancement and then continued uh, refinement. And I, and I think maybe a, a good way to think about it is we think a lot about new treatments and new therapies oftentimes as a, a magic bullet or there's one uh, aha moment and then we've all uh, will find something very dramatic that will improve our lives. But I, I think perhaps when we think about immunotherapy, we have to think of it as a more complex um, uh, set of, uh, uh, of activities. If, for example, if we thought about uh, the development of um, transportation and, and aircraft, uh, if you developed a, a wing or, or an engine by itself, um, they wouldn't work well. They have to work uh, together. And then once you have that, the, the complexities of navigation and so forth. And so what we found in uh, the immune system is we recognize first that uh, the immune system can under uh, sort of interrogate parts of the body. It can identify very exquisite differences between cells, and people ended up winning the Nobel Prize for these uh, very deep insights into the immune system. But it turns out that just because you're slightly different, that doesn't mean your immune system will attack you, and it turned out that there was a a process of co-stimulation that was required, and so not only recognition, but uh, what we call a danger signal that would trigger an immune response uh, to occur. And as you can imagine, this is uh, something that's quite important because we probably injure ourselves uh, every day just by walking around, uh, chewing on food. With the, there might be a bone in there. If we if we had a um, an insult into our in our body and we recognize differences there, uh, it could lead to a lot of uh, serious um, autoimmune. Uh, disorders. So not only understanding um, antigenicity or the, the recognition of what was different, understanding what was uh, stimulating, but also now recognizing that the, the body has a number of checkpoints in place that prevents your immune system for, 
um, from mounting a massive uh, attack on things that are foreign. And these uh, immune checkpoints or immune modulators uh, have been the most recent um, area that has been recognized. And so now we have uh, these components, antigens, um, co-stimulatory factors, as well as uh, checkpoint inhibitors or immunomodulatory inhibitors. And it's this combination of all three of these things today that has led to the general excitement where we're seeing um, the types of anti-cancer effects that the immune system has uh, promised to deliver uh, to us for many years, perhaps have... uh, have uh, provided hints that it may work in certain individuals, yeah. but now we're seeing something that's uh, more consistent and more robust on a on a widespread basis. Terrific, terrific. Um, we're getting a lot of great information here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer today. We're talking about your immune system and cancer treatment. Uh, we're sharing some information about this uh, uh, a fairly new treatment, not so new, but new in its uh, emerging success. We've got three great guests with us today. Um, we're just going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code Magnolia B, or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, Visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. 
or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode today is being brought to you in part by Azi, Genentech, and Amgen Oncology. We're here today with Dr. Kim Lyerly, Heather DeFilippo, and Patty Spears talking about immunotherapy. Um, Dr. Lyerly, how does immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy? Can you just break down that, the basic definition for us? Sure. Um, the, the idea that uh, the modern view of immunotherapy in which we're uh, delivering on the promise of the immune system to recognize and destroy cancer cells uh, is based on either stimulating uh, the immune system in ways that are mimic the natural processes or, in fact, blocking the, um, the immune regulatory or checkpoints of the immune system that prevented the, the immune system from recognizing and killing cancer cells. So the focus on the immune system and enhancing or modulating the immune system is uh, kind of the focus of immune therapy. Chemotherapy is quite different because the early versions of chemotherapy were chemicals that tended to stop cells from dividing, which was a feature of many cancer cells, but also a feature of many um, normal cells in your body, such as your bone marrow, uh, your hair, your intestinal tract, and so forth. This led to a lot of side effects that uh, were common in in chemotherapy. Um, Patty, let me ask ask you, is... uh just again, so we can get our heads around this and get a, a greater understanding. Is immunotherapy, is it one treatment or one type of tra- treatment? Or are there, you know, are there different kinds of immunotherapy? How do we, how do we administer um, immunotherapy? And, and um, also maybe you could elaborate on, you know, is immunotherapy showing effectiveness in all different kinds of cancers or only in specific kinds of cancers? Um, that's a good question. So there are many different types types of immunotherapies, I think. And I think if you um, go to meetings and, and read anything, it's actually changing every day. I mean, I just came back from the breast cancer breast cancer symposium, and um, you know, immunotherapies were a hot topic, but it's changing every day. So I think that some some early examples were really key to to moving the field forward, and it kind of goes back to my bacteria roots. You know, we all get the flu vaccine against the flu virus, and, you know, one of the first successful um, immunotherapies was actually a vaccine, and it was against the HPV, the human papillomavirus, which, um, which um, helped helps prevent cervical cancer. And so that was one of our first early successes, but it was really based on the, the old, you know, vaccination against a virus or a bacteria. Um, and so, um, you know, that was an early success, and we've had some others in that area. But, all, but, you know, moving forward into the other cancers, they're not all caused by viruses and bacteria like cervical cancer, so you have to think a little differently. 
And so cancer cells, unfortunately, are our our own cells that have gone awry, so they look like our own cells. So you don't want your immune system to attack all of your own cells because then you would have an autoimmune disease and all these other problems. And um, so what we want to do is identify differences in the cancer cells from our normal cells so that we can... um, train our our immune system to attack that cancer cell instead of our normal cells. And so in some cases and in some cancers, there are some differences found, you know, whether it's a new protein that they make um, that is not found in a cancer cell and then you can attack that, um, or if it's, you know, a, a change was made in a protein so that that now it looks different, you can attack that. But that's a really hard way to go. And I think that, you know, one of the the new things is to, you know, see if we can use our immune system on a more global scale to to attack the cancer cell rather than just a protein on the cancer cell. And so some of the newer discoveries have been um, ways to recognize, you know, when the cancer is growing, how is our immune system reacting to it right then, and how can we enhance our immune system to attack the cancer more efficiently or, you know, downgrade it type of thing. So, you know, like Dr. Lyerly said, there are different things that our body does already so that our immune system doesn't attack our normal cells. And so they put breaks on the immune system. And so some of these new cancer treatments um, kind of take the breaks off so that the, the immune system can attack the cancer cells. So that's kind of a new area that, that I'm keeping a watch on to see mm-hmm. how that's mm-hmm. going to develop. And, you know, and as a patient, I'm concerned about side effects, especially the long-term side effects with possible autoimmunity type of issues. I was actually in a cancer clinical, uh, vaccine clinical trial for breast cancer. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of these things are important to me going down the road, but I yeah. really see some great promise. Yeah. Um, Heather, do you, uh, do your patients sometimes get confused when we talk about immunotherapy? I, I know, I imagine some people's minds go to sort of immunization, you know, which we, we get vaccines to prevent certain illnesses. Um, you know, we get the flu shot and, and, and immunization against, you know, mumps and, and measles. And, you know, is, how do you sort of explain the differences to, to patients and help them sort of understand how these drugs work? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I do explain, just going back to the basics, saying that um, vaccines help the body develop antibodies to, um, in about two weeks to provide protection against um, any viruses. Um, as opposed to what immunotherapy does. Um, so really just getting back to the basics as opposed to um, using our immune system to fight cancer. So um, that usually clears it up for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and are there sort of common misconceptions that your patients have when you start to introduce the idea of immunotherapy? Tell us about some of those you know, yeah. conversations or some common questions that patients are asking. Well, they're, they're usually the most concern or misconception is um, how fast it works. Um, a lot of these patients have progressive disease, and um, which is very understandable. They want something to hit it now and hard and make it go away as soon as possible. And um, unfortunately, it can take longer for immunotherapy to work to stimulate the immune system. So a lot of their questions are, when will it work? How will we know when it works? Um, and that, that actually can be very frustrating for patients. And it really what helps is an open dialogue and a lot of reassurance, knowing that you know we've done something, 
um, something's actively working. We're hoping that something's actively working, and let's ju- just give it some time. But that that is very concerning for patients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do we know if it's working, Heather? Um, well, that that depends on um, the patient and, and the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we can look at blood work, and mm-hmm. it can give us an idea. We can speculate sometimes, and you don't always want to speculate in this field, but I do know that it can reassure pa- patients. Um, there are times when we can do scans um, of the patient, different types of imaging. We don't mm-hmm. always want to do it as early as we would with traditional chemotherapy, but we can do scans. But um, a lot of times um, we can do something that's not as invasive, as I said, like blood work. Right, right, right. Um, so, Dr. Lyerly, break it down for us a little bit. Are we talking about a, a pill, an injection, an, in, an infusion? Uh, how, how are we giving these drugs? Are we giving them by themselves or are we giving them in combination with other therapies? Well, yeah. Well, immunotherapy, has, as you've heard, is, uh, is taking many forms now because there are many elements of the immune system that we can either stimulate or uh, manipulate, uh, and we have a variety of tools to use. There's no question that the, uh, the general principles are to stimulate uh, an attack of your cancer cells using your body's uh, host defense, and I think that's that fundamental premise uh, holds for, for most, if not all, immunotherapies. And the strategy, the exact strategy and exact combination is a, a subject uh, that will require some testing in, in humans. Uh, and that testing will take place um, for some of these novel therapies in, in people with advanced disease because uh, they are at greatest need. Their, their really lives uh, literally depend on uh, these therapies being effective. But we'll also see uh, an increasing uh, amount of precision immunotherapies, and that precision, uh, we hope, will balance the, the attack on the cancer cells and minimize uh, the attack on normal cells and, again, trying to increase this balance of uh, minimizing side effects and optimizing uh, treatment uh, effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are we seeing, Dr. Lyerly, are we seeing these immunotherapies work in all kinds of, of, of cancers. Tell me where the, where the research is. Where are we seeing activity? Where are we seeing promise? You know, what, what different areas of, of types of cancers are being studied right now? Well, that, that's really a great question. And maybe that is the, the biggest story um, in the field right now in that for many years, I would say perhaps many decades, uh, there was a sense that immune-based therapy was effective for certain types of cancers, what uh, some scientists would call... Um, uh, immunologically uh, sort of um, susceptible cancers. And some of them were skin cancers, such as melanoma, which is a very deadly form of skin cancer, and again, a kind of an unusual tumor called uh, renal cell carcinoma. And it was almost a, a kind of an empiric observation that uh, these uh, two cancers uh, appeared to respond to some growth factors of the immune system, such as interleukin-2, uh, which was a, a growth factor uh, discovered that uh, helped um, parts of the immune system grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the attempts to use these types of growth factors in other cancers did not work, and people be- became very discouraged and felt, well, gosh, these other types of cancers aren't uh, likely to respond to immunotherapy, and we'll just uh, not uh, bother with them anymore. And I, and I think this is really a strong message for uh, individuals who are exploring immunotherapy or, or thinking about it or hearing about it, 
their physicians uh, and their physicians who they may have known for many, many years may have uh, been educated in an era where there was so much disappointment about immunotherapy that they're very um, almost skeptical about uh, the field. And, th- and the reality is, is that there's been tremendous progress over the past few decades and an understanding at the molecular level of why uh, immunotherapy did not work in the past. And today, the, the types of responders and the, the types of cancers that are responding to immunotherapy are much, much greater than people had ever envisioned before. So if you were in a time capsule and, you know, you woke up after 10 years as, a, as an oncologist and you, and you were told immunotherapy is working on um, a, a variety of cancers, you would be completely startled by that because there was such a long-standing sentiment that uh, immunotherapy would only work on a, on a few unusual cancer types, and that's clearly not the case today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, it's, it's exciting, uh, exciting progress. We're going to dive in a little bit more on some of the details of immunotherapy and uh, some of the side effects, um, but uh, we've got three great guests with us today, uh, Dr. Kim Lyerly from uh, Duke University Medical Center. We have Patty Spears, who's a microbiologist from North Carolina State University, and Heather DeFilippo, who is a nurse practitioner who works with patients at the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania. We're talking about your immune system and cancer treatment today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. We'll be right back. To a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca. Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and we're talking about immunotherapy with Dr. Kim Lyerly, Heather DeFilippo, and Patty Spears. Uh, Heather, let, let's get into the side effects of immunotherapy, um, you know, and how those really differ from chemotherapy. You know, when we think about traditional chemo, we think about hair loss, uh, fatigue, nausea, and vomiting. Um, what are the side effects of immunotherapy? How do they differ from chemotherapy? What do we know about that? 
Um, so, so they are different, um, but there can be some similarities. One of the differences is really the hair loss, which is um, what we all think about when we think of um, chemotherapy. Um, many of the side effects are not severe, and they can be manageable, but there are some that can be severe. They range from relatively mild, you can say, flu-like symptoms, and I'll explain that a little bit more, and fatigue to more serious problems, um, for example, can cause, less likely, but can cause irritation to the GI tract, um, and um, also can affect, for example, your thyroid or your lungs. Um, the side effects of immunotherapy are usually different from those, um, and not only should you know that, but they different um, from person to person, really depending also on the person, but also type of treatment. Um, I guess you can say the most common side effects of immunotherapy, as I said, were flu-like symptoms, fatigue, rashes, fever. Uh, your blood pressure can drop dangerously low. Um, and then the less common side effects that are still concerning, um, as I said, are problems to your thyroid, your lungs. Um, I always tell patients that no matter what the side effect is or whatever the um, symptom they're experiencing, don't hesitate to call. Um, whether it's mild and they don't think it's related, I would say it's really important to communicate to your healthcare provider. Um, and we, I may say, you know what, um, that's fine and let's take some Tylenol or can, we can think that it may um, develop into something more severe and we'll say, come on in, let's, let's evaluate you. So the important message is to communicate with your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's great because I know we are in some uh, uncharted territory here. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Lyerly, what do we know or, or not know about the long-term effects of immunotherapy treatment for patients? I know certainly patients with uh, traditional chemotherapy or, or perhaps radiation uh, often complain of sort of long-term side effects, week, mo- weeks, months, even years. Are we following patients who are on immunotherapy for a long period of time? Do we know anything about the long-term effects? Well, certainly the uh, the long-term effects of any therapy are, are certainly um, areas of intense uh, investigation. Immunotherapy, and, and what I would say is the um, the, the modern, uh, contemporary, effective uh, types of immunotherapy uh, and their and their risk-benefit ratio are going to be constantly evaluated for for years uh, at this point. And what I mean by that is that um, I would say that the numbers of uh, individual patients who are um, being treated with uh, the modern versions of immunotherapy probably number in the in the hundreds to the few thousands, and what what this tells us is that uh, there is so much promise. There's so many exciting events happening in immunotherapy that people will uh, begin to want to have access to this form of therapy. They'll want to see if the the therapy will be effective for their cancers or for their loved ones, and this is where it's uh, so important to. Um, participate or, or be engaged in the uh, knowledge that is being generated for some of these therapies, and some of that knowledge will be the um, the actual types uh, and uh, numbers of the short and, and long term uh, side effects. I, mm-hmm. I think um, Heather's point about uh, not taking anything lightly, uh, yes. considering even mild symptoms as something. Um, uh, potentially worry, worrisome, uh, mm-hmm. and communicating that with your healthcare providers is mm-hmm. is really spot on, because um, some of the things that we're we're hoping to see uh, a um, 
a small spark, of, uh, if you will, of the immune system beginning to recognize uh, cancer cells and, and building momentum and developing a, a robust um, highly effective immune response against that cancer, and that's the type of anti-cancer effects we're seeing, it's possible that the side effects where that type of robust immune response against some part of your normal body could occur, and if we can uh, spot it early enough, there might be some strategies that can mitigate the, the effects of those uh, off what we call off-target effects or, or adverse uh, uh, effects or, or toxic effects. Mm-hmm. So clearly the, the balance we want to achieve is high effectiveness against your cancer in minimal uh, short and long-term uh, side effects against your, your normal body. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Lyle, I also understand that, um, uh, that sometimes there is a delayed response uh, uh, to, to uh, an immunotherapy. Why, why does that happen? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, this idea of a delayed response where uh, if you receive a therapy, you sort of expect uh, you know, things to start working uh, quite rapidly. I think many of us uh, remember those uh, television commercials about uh, instant relief from a headache or whatever problem uh, we were having. Uh, you apply the patch or you take the pill and you know, your problems will be gone within a matter of seconds, uh, if not faster. What we're trying to achieve with immunotherapy is we are uh, stimulating your your body's natural uh, reaction, your natural immune response. And if you think about it, uh, it takes a few days to get over uh, a cold sometimes. Uh, it takes a few days to get over the flu because your body has to mount that immune response uh, to attack those foreign invaders. The same thing applies in immunotherapy for, for cancer in that uh, there is a requirement that your body has to mount an attack and in fact, uh, rather than an infection that may uh, take a week or so, it may take a, a few months uh, for your body to mount a sufficiently large attack to see the anti-cancer effects of immunotherapy. So when, when people talk about uh, delayed uh, response, they are, really are saying that there is a, a need for the immune system to rev up uh, to generate the the quality and, and quantity of uh, of the response that will be effective against a, an individual uh, cancer, and uh, that time uh, is much much longer than we would typically expect for chemotherapy that would go in and we would expect something to happen in a, in a week or two or something right. quite rapid. Uh, we're expecting uh, some things to happen perhaps in weeks or perhaps a, a few months. So, Patty, you've talked to us as a microbiologist. Now talk to us as a patient, a survivor, a patient advocate. How does that uh, response from, from Dr. Lyerly sit with you? Um, yeah. Knowing that, you know, patients want a quick, uh, you know, we want a quick response and we want to see things happening and moving. Uh, how, how does that sit with you as a, as a patient? Yeah, so it depends on, you know, when you come into this, you know, what your expectations are, I think, and, and you can oversell something very easily. But if a patient is coming in with symptoms or and wants immediate relief, this is probably not the best treatment for them because it, it won't happen like that typically. And so, you know, it's really in informing the patient and having that conversation. And I really liked what Heather had to say about, you know, she'll do blood work because it's reassuring because, you know, when your blood changes, you know, and you can see those changes of your blood that it's now mounting a response to something, um, you know, it's reassuring, even though you'll never feel that in your body. And so you don't know what's going on. And so anything that the, the 
treatment team can give you on that end is reassuring. And, you know, attending that symposium, um, a few weeks ago, it became evident, too, that sometimes you can actually have growth of your tumor before it starts responding to the um, immunotherapy, and that's really unusual um, for a cancer patient to experience, and most of these um, treatments are being done under clinical trial setting right now, especially in the newer the newer treatments in immunotherapy, and so that consent form really has to be um, really clearly explained to the patient so that they're not over-expecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Heather, as, as we get to our, our next break here, um, you know, we certainly know that cancer treatment is becoming increasingly complex, increasingly individualized, personalized. We hear a lot about personalized medicine, personalized care. You know, for you as a, as a nurse practitioner who really works with patients on a regular basis, um, how does that make things sort of more complex for you in terms of communicating with patients, giving information? I mean, it's not as easy as, you know, sort of handing patients a brochure and saying, here, this is what you can expect. You know, it's becoming so different and so so individualized. So what are the challenges of that? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I, I'm very lucky that um, the physician I, I work with does, you know, such a great job laying the groundwork and um, thinking of the patient when we do that together, actually. And then um, it's all about knowing the patient, trying to get to know them as a, an individual and help, help them learn coping skills um, for what they're dealing with. Um, it's, um, it, is, it is really challenging, as, as Patty said, and, and and setting that expectation for the patient and really open communication, listening to the patient, never having them feel that any phone call is a silly phone call or, or not appropriate. Um, I tell patients, if you think about calling, then you absolutely call. That's the time to call. Um, and, and just really knowing that person as an individual and giving them as much support as you can, even if you can't fix it, just try to help them cope with it. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I want to get back just for a quick minute, um, Heather, to this idea of encouraging patients to call and ask yeah. questions. A lot of times, patients we know, patients they don't want to be the, you know, they don't want to be a nuisance. They don't want to be the annoying patient. They don't want to be the patient, you know, that the doctor or the nurse avoids because they have so many questions or so much that they want to know. You're right. saying no. Put that out the window. Absolutely. Um, I, I put myself in their shoes or I think about a family member who is at home and, you know, do I call because they got the blood work and everything's fine or do I call because I don't know if they have the blood work and maybe they missed it? I, you know, any question at home, no matter what, if it reassures you or a family member, call. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think putting yourself in yourself in their shoes yeah. makes that phone call so easy. And, um, you know, you build a rapport with your patients sure. and yeah. absolutely don't ever hesitate to, don't ever hesitate to call. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. I know I was talking to my mom recently and, and uh, you know, my dad was having some, some uh, blood work done on something and she said, well, I didn't hear back from them. So I'm ah. assuming everything's okay. Yeah. And I said, nah, probably not such a good idea, mom. Maybe you should just give a call and confirm that and then you can put it out of your mind. So I think that's good for, you know, encouraging patients to be empowered, to be activated, to sort of take those matters into their own hands and and go out and seek the information out. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about your immune system 
uh, in cancer treatment and an emerging area of care uh, called immunotherapy. We still have some more uh, great information that we want to cover on the show today. We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our episode today is being brought to you in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Greenville Health System Cancer Institute, and Morphotech. I want to close out the show today Uh, by talking for a minute or two about what the future holds for immunotherapy. Dr. Lyerly, let's start with you. What what are the keys, uh, you know, to advancing the field of immunotherapy? What do we need to know? Where where are we going with this? And, and, you know, what's the promise that we're seeing down the line here? Well, Kim, the the big news really is that immunotherapy is working. And, uh, you know, it's like... uh, uh, the Wright brothers getting liftoff uh, on their plane. Uh, it's going to be a huge uh, amount of uh, work uh, to, to go in many different directions. Uh, I have five kids at home, and as you can imagine, around the holiday seasons, so we, we asked them all what would make the perfect holiday, and we have five different opinions, um, <laughs> which are terrific, and they are all very meaningful for each one of those individuals. But we're going to see that same thing in immunotherapy. We're seeing incredible work done at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Carl June is uh, genetically modifying the immune system to make it exquisitely specific. Uh, we have individuals that exploited the, um, the role of the placenta in protecting the 
the fetus from the immune system of the mother to develop uh, strategies uh, called IDO-targeted therapy that, that uh, manipulate the immune system uh, so it uh, can be reawakened. Um, there's uh, many, many different flavors. Uh, there are many, many opportunities. It will be a, a variety of combinations, and it will require a very thoughtful application, a number of clinical trials, and uh, I think we're just uh, generally uh, excited about the, the lift and the, and the clear evidence of uh, anti-cancer effects uh, provided by the immune system that we wouldn't have foretold uh, 15 or 20 years ago. And I think if I recall correctly, Dr. Lyerly, I think that immunotherapy was was declared uh, in 2013 by Science Magazine as sort of the the top scientific discovery of 2013. The, the breakthrough uh, breakthrough of the year uh, for many the of these advances as they as they uh, collectively add up to the this promise in in fighting uh, cancer. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patty, talk for a minute about. Um, the, I think you said you participated in a clinical trial. Talk for a minute about the importance of clinical trials in advancing the field of immunotherapy. I, I'm glad you asked that question. I think it's very important to participate in clinical trials. Like I said, I participated one in 2000 um, in a vaccine clinical trial. I'm still here. I feel very fortunate. Um, but I think that, you know, going forward, it's about um, participating in trials so that they can really uh, fine-tune the system and fine-tune how to treat with immunotherapies. I think there still are a lot of unanswered questions, like Dr. Lyerly said, and it's about honing in on that. So when you participate in a trial, it's also very, very important to participate in any of the research studies that go on within the clinical trial by um, donating tissue by donating blood, because I think it's going to become really evident that, you know, donating tissue is going to be really important, specifically in the solid tumors, to find out what's going on within that solid tumor environment that might be helping your your tumor, you know, what kind of immune response it's having already or what kind you need um, type of thing. And, and the more information they can get from the clinical trial by looking at your tumor tissue, as well as your blood sample and looking for the response in your blood, the, the, the faster the field will move forward. So I think it's very important for patients to participate in clinical trials. And Patty, I think I just, yeah, I think it's also important to emphasize that, you know, I was listening to the radio this morning and I heard something about a, you know, a clinical trial, I think it was in autism where they were talking about whether the, the, uh, the, the patient got the treatment or the, or the placebo. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand that generally, in a, in a cancer clinical trial, you're not going to get a placebo. You're either going to get the standard of care or the standard of care plus uh, whatever or the new agent that's being studied, correct? Correct. You will never get nothing. You will always get standard of care or the reagent. And the trial that I participated in, it was actually three different doses of the immunotherapy. Yeah, and I think it's so important for, for, for patients and folks think, you know, listening today to understand that. We just did a big survey of patients, and patients thought that they understood what a clinical trial was. <laughs> and then when we asked, we asked them if they had considered participating, the majority of patients said no, and when we asked them why, they said, well, because I might get the placebo. And I think it's important yeah. for our listeners to understand you're not going to get a placebo no. in a cancer treatment trial, okay? So no. I think an important and, fact and, a, and a, myth, a myth that we have to bust for, for our listeners. Yeah, and you will get exceptional care within the clinical trial. They, they right. monitor you very well and very right. closely, so you get really good care. 
I think, an important uh, important point for us to emphasize for our listeners today. And just uh, finally, let me ask you, um, Heather, what does the field of immunotherapy mean to the patient experience? If, if I'm a patient uh, uh, with cancer or I'm in a family that has a risk of cancer, why should I be excited about this? You know, what, what, what is the, the promise that it holds as it relates to the patient experience? Um, really, that this, the field is improving and just comes down to um, patients having hope. You know, I, I remind our patients that there are physicians in the lab working hard every day trying to um, make treatment better. And, um, you know, that, that is very hopeful and um, makes them feel very good inside knowing that these physicians are working so hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Lyerly, any last tips or advice for our audience listening today as we wrap up the conversation? Well, I, I wanted to uh, thank you, Kim, and also thank all of the patients uh, who uh, volunteered and, and their families for contributing to the knowledge that we have, uh, as, as Patty points out, uh, and, and Heather. Uh, clinical trials uh, in, in patients with, with cancer are are the sort of uh, the fundamental um, tool to determine how effective these new therapies will be and how best to administer them. So uh, thanks to all of them, uh, without the, the, the patients and, and their families, uh, we could not have not made the progress we're making. And, and we know that uh, it's in their interest and, and the interest uh, uh, that they have pr- to provide benefit for that next patient that uh, they are making that uh, enormous sacrifice to participate. That's, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, uh, Patty, any last tips for our listeners today as we wrap up? Um, just that, you know, I, like Heather said, it is hope for patients. I think immunotherapy does give you that hope for a possibly a well-tolerated treatment or a well-tolerated way to prevent the cancer from spreading to other parts of your body. Or eventually, you know, we really hope that we can prevent cancer altogether. Terrific. Terrific. I want to thank uh, all three of you for joining us uh, on the show today. This really has been a great, um, uh, a great discussion. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Kim Lyerly, who's the George Barth Geller Professor in Cancer Research at Duke University Medical Center. I want to thank Patty Spears, a microbiologist from North Carolina and a breast cancer survivor uh, and patient advocate, and also Heather DeFilippo, a nurse practitioner who works with immunotherapy patients at the Abramson Cancer Center. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. I want to thank all three of you for joining us uh, today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, If you're listening today, do you have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, questions that you have about healthcare, about the cancer um, experience? We invite all of our listeners to share with us any topics you'd like to hear more about uh, in an upcoming show. As you can imagine, we're planning our 2015 calendar, and we want to make sure we're continuing to talk about and address topics uh, that are of interest to our listeners and that matter to you. So please be in touch with us if you have ideas about a topic or burning questions that you would like for us to answer uh, or address uh, on the show. Um, I think one of the shows we're going to do next year, uh, I get a lot of questions about uh, about cell phones and cancer. And so we're working on a show for uh, 2015 uh, looking at uh, uh, looking at uh, whether or not there is any link between cell phones and, uh, and cancer and really a, a range of other topics. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today. So I hope you'll visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you or to call our Cancer Support Helpline at 888-793-9355 if you'd like to speak with a mental health professional. We want to make sure that no one uh, faces cancer alone. Thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. 
Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.